All right, today we wrap up our summer series in the book of Psalms. It's hard to believe another summer here and gone, right? Kids are back in school. Families are kind of getting back into a normal rhythm of life. In six to eight weeks, all of our snowbirds will start coming back down. You realize it's less than four months till Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Time is flying by. I've enjoyed our time in the Psalms uh, this summer. Uh, This will be week 10. Uh, We weren't able to get through all those 150 Psalms, uh, taking us a long time to get through all that. But uh, we're going to wrap up today. But before I do, let me ask you this. How many antique lovers do we have in the room this morning? If you're an antique lover, raise your hand. Okay, several of you. Very good. Anybody here watch the Antique Roadshow or American Pickers? Anybody do that? Oh, there's my people right there. There, there, There's my people. Uh, Anybody here like restoring old homes? Several of you. Anybody like restoring old cars? A lot of you, Ron. I knew your hand would be up there. How about old back snips and he's knees, you know? <laughs> we, we all could use that. I love watching a video where they take something that's old and rusty and beat up and bring it back to life and kind of restore its original beauty. Uh, it's kind of cool to see that. Uh, as a staff, we're, we're going through uh, the Gallup Strength Finders analysis. And it's been really fun as we learn all of the strengths and weaknesses that we as a staff team have together. But interestingly, uh, several people on our staff had uh, restorative as their, one of their top strengths. And, and restorative people are people who like to uh, identify what caused a broken relationship or a broken system or a broken process and then kind of work together to figure out how do we put this back together? How do we get this thing fixed? And, uh, you know, there are times when we all need to restore some relationships, and uh, we're going to look here today at a, re- at a relationship between uh, David and God that needed to be reconciled. In this psalm, uh, we see the heartfelt cry of a man who had broken his relationship with God and by making some terrible mistakes, and, and he, had, he, had, he had upset God, had angered God, and he himself was feeling probably spiritually, emotionally, and physically uh, sick to himself because of the things that he had done. So before we jump into the psalm, I want to go back, and we're going to look and see what exactly it was that David did. So if you have your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite that David sent messengers to get her. She came to her to him. He slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would show us what you'd have us to learn as we look into this tragic story, this tremendous fall. Uh, and Father, I, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would just speak to hearts here and God, show us how we can be reconciled, how our relationship with you can be restored. And God, just, just show us what you'd have us to know and learn here today as we just commit these few moments unto you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we see David. Now, David is the author 
of nearly half of the Psalms. Um, but here we see he made some terrible mistakes. And, and I literally could spend weeks and a whole series just talking about the, the terrible choices that David made that led to uh, this terrible situation. But uh, this isn't about that. I want to get to the psalm here in just a minute, but you need to hear the rest of the story so you fully appreciate the psalm we're going to read this morning. So we'll pick it up in verse 14. It says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against them, Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Wow, it just goes from bad to worse, right? You know, here he is, he, he commits his sin with Bathsheba, and then he uses his position as the king of Israel to orchestrate the events that would lead to Uriah's death. What he was really trying to do was to cover up what he had done, right? This was all a great big cover-up operation to, to kind of make it look like he hadn't done anything wrong. And isn't it true that often the cover-up is worse than the original sin? And that's what we see here. So mighty King David, the giant killer, a man after God's own heart, the music maker, the great psalmist, can now add to his list adulterer and murderer. Verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. David may have thought that he was going to get away with it. And maybe in the eyes of some people, he did. He'd committed the perfect crime but it did not go unnoticed by God. And I'm sure that David, who probably once felt this warm relationship with God, began to notice his, his relationship with God to chill. And then God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David for his sins. Now we're in chapter 12, verse seven. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. This is Nathan speaking to David. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm gonna bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David was a broken man. His private sin was about to become very public. His reputation, his character, his leadership, his relationship with God, everything was in a free fall. David thought he could navigate the slippery slope of sin, but like many before and since, 
his downfall came with a mighty crash. Often when we read stories like this and when we hear stories like this, you know, we get to hear the facts of the situation. We may, we may understand the context of the situation. We may see the consequences of their actions. But rarely do we get inside the head of the person who had done the, the evil and had done the wrong, committed the sin. And almost never do we get to hear their prayers. But in today's psalm, we get to hear David's prayer to God in response to his horrible sin. In fact, David sat down and he put pen to paper and he made his brokenness and his grief and his sadness very transparent for all of us to read. You know, we can learn a lot by studying the lives of successful people. You know, we can look and we, we can see the things they did right and we can try to emulate what they did. <clears throat> but here's what I've learned. We, may, we, we can be impressed by people who are very successful, but oftentimes we're most impacted by people who are willing to share their failures. Not people who say, this is what I did right, follow in my steps and do what I did right, but people who said, this is where I made a mistake you need to watch out for that pitfall. You need to make sure you don't trip over that same thing I tripped over. You need to pay attention to this. We learn a lot by listening to people share stories of how they failed and then how God restored them. Because the reality is, though we haven't maybe committed adultery or committed murder, most of us know that feeling of regret and remorse. Most of us know that feeling that says, man, I wish I hadn't done that or I knew better than that, or what was I thinking, and why would I do that? There's probably every person in here that says, if I could go back in time, I would change that. I would never do that. But here's the reality. You can't go back and change what you've done. But you can start over, and you can move forward after failure. You don't have to stay stuck, and we're gonna see that story here in our psalm today. We're in Psalm 51. Now, if you have your Bible, you'll notice at the, at the top of this psalm, it actually gives the context. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So it lays it out right there. This is when this was written. Verse one, David prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You can almost hear the desperation in David's voice as he prays to God, as he throws himself at the mercy of God. I mean, he has no merit on his own. There's no appeal to justice for what he's done. He has no excuse. There's no rationale. There's no hope that he can fix this on his own. He is broken and in need of God's mercy. He pleads with God based upon God's great love and compassion. We see that in verse one. Unfortunately for David and for all of us, God is a loving and merciful God, amen? With his tender mercies, God repeatedly demonstrates his mercy towards us. If he didn't, none of us would be here today, right? Next, we learn that David is keenly aware of the nature of his sin. David uses three words here in these first two verses to describe what he's done. He prayed this. He said, God, blot out my transgressions. 
To transgress is to knowingly cross a forbidden line. Back in 49 BC, General Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. This was a stream that separated Rome from the province of Gaul. And crossing the Rubicon, he knew the Roman Senate had already said that anyone or anybody who crosses the Rubicon, will, it will lead to war. And so Julius Caesar knew that when he crossed the Rubicon, it meant war. And to this day, that phrase is still used, that so-and-so crossed the Rubicon. What it means is they've crossed the line in the sand and there's no going back. You knew that when you did this, when you crossed that line, when you transgressed, you crossed the line and you knew what that meant. Well, that's what David said. David knew what he was doing. David knew he was crossing a line when he called Bathsheba to his house, when he did what he did, when he had her husband killed. God knew, David knew God's boundaries. David was well aware of what he had done. Next, he said this. He prayed, wash away all my iniquity. Iniquity refers to a premeditated choice to knowingly and willingly continue in sin without repentance. To live in iniquity is to know that you're doing wrong, but you just go ahead and do it anyhow. I know this is wrong. I shouldn't be living like this. We shouldn't be doing this. I know it's wrong. I know I'm living in iniquity, but I'm going to do it anyhow. That's what, it, that's what iniquity is. David knew from the moment he called and had Bathsheba brought to his house, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he was in iniquity at that moment. And then David prayed, lastly, that God would cleanse me from my sin. Sin is to fall short of God's standard. It's an archery term. You know, there's a, there's a target over there and an archer over here, and the arrow, just imagine the arrow only goes half, halfway and falls falls short of the target. That's what that, 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 that arrow is said to have sinned. It, it's fallen short of the target. When we sin, we miss the mark. We fall short of God's standard. We don't do what God wants us to do. We don't hit the target. In David's situation, he fell way short of God's law. So we see in these first two verses that David acknowledged to God that he had crossed the line, that he had fallen short of God's standard, and that he had intentionally done that which he knew was wrong. And he was sorry. Verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So we see here that David is taking full responsibility for his actions. He's confessing his sin before God and acknowledging the evil that he had done in the sight of God. David humbly bows before a holy God, the one true judge, and he recognizes that he deserves punishment from God. He knows he doesn't deserve mercy, None of us do. Grace here would certainly be unmerited because David fell well short of God's standard. And David acknowledged the fact that God would be completely justified if he threw the book at David. 
David even recognizes, listen, I've been, a, I've been a sinner since birth. We go to Psalm 51, verse five. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. David recognized that there was nothing good within him. He'd been sinful since conception, and he'd been battling sin since the day he was born. And you know what? The Apostle Paul echoed this same truth in his letter to the church at Rome when he said this in Romans 7, verse 18, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. There is a battle within, Paul says. David understood, and probably every person in this room, including myself, understands that feeling of wanting to do right, but not always doing right. Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> all of us are sinners. I have actually met with people that didn't think they were sinners. I'm not kidding. I've met with people and, 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 and you know, when I say, you know, I'm talking to them about the Lord and saying they need to be saved, you know, like saved from what? And I talk about sin when I go, I haven't committed any sin. Like, seriously? I just start going through the 10 commandments. I, you know, usually you get to number two and you're like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I, you know. All have sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned. We've all sinned. Everybody in this planet has sinned. And Paul makes it clear that we will all stand condemned before God and fall short of the glory of God. But Paul says, but we are justified. We are declared righteous by his grace through forgiveness that was purchased by Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Paul lived in the years following Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Paul looked back on what Christ did. David looked forward to what Christ the Messiah would do. We see that in the next verse here in verse 7, Psalm 51, 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Here David says, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was a small plant that would typically grow uh, in rocky crevices or in, in, in footpaths and things like this. And uh, because of its shape and its structure, uh, hyssop was also often used like a small, a small brush, like a small paintbrush kind of a, kind of a thing. And they would, they would use it. In the book of Exodus, hyssop was used in the ceremonies in the temple when they would sprinkle blood on the altar. During Passover, they used hyssop uh, to dip into the blood and sprinkle it over the doorpost of the house so that the death angel would pass over that home and spare the firstborn child. David understood clearly what he was saying when he said, you know, cleanse me with hyssop. David understood the fact that the blood of something innocent had to be shed to cover his sins. In the Old Testament, that was a lamb, that was a ram that was used at that time, all of it pointing to Jesus Christ. It was all a foreshadow of the fact that Christ would one day be that spotless lamb whose blood was shed to cover our sins. 
because he is our only hope. It's only through the mercy of Christ that you and I have the hope of being forgiven and cleansed and reconciled with God. David wanted his sins to be completely purged away. He didn't even want a stain left in him. Centuries later, the prophet Isaiah would write this. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You see, this is what David wanted and is what we all desperately need. Because all of us, like David, stand condemned before God by our sin. Our sin separates us from God's beautiful holiness. We may not have committed adultery. We may not have covered it up with murder. But we have all committed horrible sins against God. And we all deserve death. Psalm 51 is known as a penitential psalm because it expresses the psalmist's sorrow for his sin, for his spiritual failure. And if you find yourself racked with grief for falling into a sinful behavior that you know displeases God, then Psalm 51 needs to be your go-to psalm. That every time you fall and every time you make that mistake and every time you do that thing that you said you would never do again, you need to come back to Psalm 51. And you can pray right through this psalm. David was a man that said, you know, after God's own heart. He was called that after he had committed those terrible sins, right? After that he'd done what he did to Uriah and with Bathsheba. He committed some really big sins. But my friends, there is no sin so dark that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse it. There is no sin so bad that the mercy of God cannot conquer it. There is no sin so evil that the grace of God cannot cover it. Don't let a sinful behavior or addiction steal the joy of your salvation. As a follower of Christ, your sins, past, present, and future, were all paid for on the cross of Calvary. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and, pure us from, and, 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 and purify us from all unrighteousness. All. So listen, if you've blown it big time like David, then do what David did. Confess your sin to God. Seek forgiveness. Repent of your sins. And then move forward. Move forward. David continues verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, David knew that in his heart he was drawn to sin. That's why he prayed for a pure heart. He wanted God to place a new clean heart in his body. He didn't want some refurbished old version of his old heart. He asked God to put a new heart within him, to put a steadfast spirit within him, to help him to keep it clean. David never wanted to go through that experience again where he felt far from God. He wanted to continually experience God's presence. He longed for the presence of the Holy Spirit 
uh, at work in his life. And it's important that you understand here that David is not talking about losing his salvation, but rather the joy of his salvation. He felt sad for what he had done. He felt sorry for breaking God's law. And you know what, folks? We should feel sorrow when we sin and when we break God's law. We should feel remorse for disappointing God and not living up to his standards. But that does not mean that we lose our salvation and that we need to be saved again. Salvation is based on grace. It is the unmerited favor of God upon us. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, we, we are given forgiveness. We are given that grace. There's nothing we've done to earn it, and there's nothing we can do to keep it. And there's nothing we can do to lose it. When you're saved, you're a child of God. You're forgiven. Acknowledge your sin and move forward. Continuing on verse 13, David says, then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. David knows there's nothing that he can do to pay for his sin, but he knows knows this. He says, God, you've forgiven me. You'll cleanse me, and I'll tell you what, I'm gonna tell others what you've done for me. I'm gonna share about your forgiveness. I'm gonna share about the hard lessons I've learned. Listen, most of us, if we had done what David had done, we wouldn't have written about it, right? We wouldn't have said, hey, put this in a book that's gonna be the bestseller in the world for all of history. I want everybody to know how dumb I was, right? No, we wouldn't want that. We're we're, we're gonna want somebody to paint this, you know, paint me out to look good here. David said, no, I'm gonna tell everybody about the transgressions that I've done. I'm going to be open and honest. I'm going to teach sinners God's ways, how to turn back to God. I want them to know of God's righteousness. I want them to join me in praise to him. So the beauty of this psalm is that even though David had done some really heinous things, God was willing to restore his relationship with David. God did not overlook David's sin. He sent Nathan to confront David. In the New Testament age, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God that convicts us of our sin, right? It takes just about a split second after you've done something that you know you shouldn't do. It takes about a split second to realize, I shouldn't have done that, right? That's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God that's, that's convicting us. But understand this, even though God forgives us and even though God cleanses us and even though we may be restored in our relationship with God, that doesn't mean that the natural consequences of our actions are removed. The child conceived in David's tryst did not survive. There were national consequences that affected many people. Many people died because of David's sin. Sin has consequences. The forgiveness of sin does not remove the natural consequences that may come from the things that we do. But you need to remember that God is a forgiving God and that he desires to restore his relationship with you. He wants to be reconciled 
Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God, who was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against him, and he has committed to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is the work of God through Christ by which he restores mankind to a favorable relationship with himself. Friends, you may have walked into this room this morning or you may be joining us online and you may be sitting in your living room right now and you may be carrying a load of guilt from the things that you've done in your past and it weighs you down and it steals your joy and you continue to beat yourself up over and over and over and over again because you continually look to your past and you've let your past sin define you and it has stolen the joy of your salvation. It has kept you from moving forward. You've been chained to your past because you've not understood the fact that God wants to restore his relationship with you, that God is willing to be reconciled with you, not based upon what you do, but based upon what Jesus has already done. And that when you accept the gift of salvation, when you accept by grace what Jesus has done for you, that all of your past has been washed clean. It's white as snow and you are set free and you no longer have to carry that guilt. You can be a man or a woman after God's own heart after you've made some really dumb decisions. But you can't keep carrying that load of guilt. You can't keep dragging that bag of sin with you. God wants your relationship restored. He wants you to have a joy in your salvation. So I ask you this morning, isn't it time you quit beating yourself up? Isn't it time you quit punishing yourself? Isn't it time that you do what David did and throw yourself at the mercy and grace and love of God? Seek his forgiveness, repent, and then move on. You cannot go back and change the past, my friend, but you can start today and make a brand new end. Some of you this morning, my prayer when I was standing back there ready to come up here to preach is that God would set some of you free this morning, that you have been chained to your past and you've been letting the guilt of previous sin hold you back and keep you from doing what God wants you to do because you can't get over what you've done. Can I just say that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he has forgiven past, present, and future sin, and it's time for you to let it go. Amen? that's been keeping you down. So we're gonna, I'm just going to give you a few moments. 
silent prayer that I'm going to close this together today. And I just want you to just, if there's something that has just been holding you back and that you just haven't been able to forgive yourself for, I just want you to give it to God today and then put it in the history books and leave it here and walk out of this place a new person today. Amen? Let's spend some time in prayer, then I'll close this together. God, we thank you so much that you are a loving God, a forgiving God, a merciful God, a gracious God. You're a God who loves us so much that you want to be reconciled with us. You want our relationship restored with you. God, you've taken all the action. You've done it all. You've sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. The only hope, the only merit that we have to be reconciled with you is through what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, and we recognize that this morning. God, sometimes sometimes we think it has to do with us and that there's something that we're supposed to do. God, I pray this morning that you would, you would help us to see that it's by grace. It's all you. It's all you. God, I pray for some in this room this morning that have walked in here carrying a load of guilt, and God, I pray that today you would that guilt, you would remove that shame, that you would, you would cut those chains that have held them back, and that, God, they would leave here today with joy in their salvation. They would leave here today realizing the fact that it's a new day, and that your mercies are new every morning, and that, God, you understand that we're sinful. You know that struggle with sin in, in our fleshly bodies, but God, you forgive us, and you forgive us, and you forgive us over and over again. God, help us to receive that forgiveness, and God, help us to leave here, and God, may our spirit be like David's, that we're willing to share with other people, teach transgressors, God, what you are willing to do for us. So, Father, Thank you for the freedom we have in Christ, that we're no longer bound by our sins, that we're completely cleansed, whiter than snow. How can we even begin to say thank you, God? Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you for all your goodness. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song.